Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News show. This is for November 13th, 2022. And yes, I had a glitch. That made my stream just disconnect, but that's okay. We're back. And uh, I've already selected a bunch of articles. My intro music is just kind of background music. It's not actually... uh, My intro is now nothing more than an exit music or extra or... I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. Let's get into the news. Hello. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. What's going on here? One second. I'm sorry. Something is weird. Something weird is going on. Yes, this is a live stream over on Twitch. If you're getting this via the podcast or over on YouTube, um, it's not really even edited. So I let you see how the sausage is made. But today's news is a pretty broad spectrum and you can go to uh, Showbot via exclamation point Showbot and it'll give you a link to hometown.showbot.tv and that will have a list of all of the articles that we're talking about today. A little bit of everything, folks, just a little bit of everything in hometown and uh, let's go let's check it all out the very first article is take a look inside this hobbit inspired tiny home village that's already made hundred and twenty thousand dollars on airbnb uh, and there's no context there so already made hundred and twenty thousand dollars doesn't really necessarily mean a great deal if it's been there since airbnb took off but anyway joe mccarthy and justin kersey created a hobbit inspired tiny home village for Airbnb renters, they spent nearly $500,000 on the tiny homes and they are that are now proving popular with tourists. Let's take a look inside them. A tiny home village that's Hobbit inspired. And it's already made $120,000. Uh, let's see if the context of that is they spent $500,000 on the tiny homes and they've only recovered 120,000 of it so far. Ryan Hogg over at businessinsider.com is who wrote this article. And here's a picture of Joe McCarthy on the left and his nephew, Justin Kersey uh, in, on the right uh, at the entrance of their Hobbit style village. Eh, already has me one over because the, the this looks like it's pretty cool. So far, just the entrance alone has me inspired. Now I want to go. Where is it? Where is it? Doesn't say. Nah. A pair of real estate investors took a niche approach to building a money-making portfolio, going all in on a tiny home in a Hobbit-inspired village nestled close to the popular Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Mountainshire is a tiny home, short-term rental village that evokes Tolkien fictional universe. Okay, you win. It's Hobbit inspired indeed. Tiny homes are proliferating as a minimalist and inexpensive way of living and are increasingly used as Airbnb properties. McCarthy and Kersey 
told Insider how good timing and a curated approach to design helped them beat competitors. And the figures were verified by documents shared with Insider, which is always awesome. That makes me uh, trust the source as long as their integrity is sound. You know, if I start hearing rumors that Business Insider is just kind of blowing smoke up my butt, I think I'll stop uh, reviewing them. Um, but at any rate, pretty neat. Kersey, a tech consultant, wanted the project um, that he could work on part-time. McCarthy told him about the idea he had for a tiny home village. Instead of lending McCarthy money for the project, he thought it would be better to go in as partners. <laughs> he moved from Florida to Tennessee to help construct the village in mid-2020. This isn't pretty bad. I mean, this is pretty neat. I get that looks like a well, I mean, the doors are definitely tiny home doors, or I should say Hobbit style doors. And the rest of it is just kind of just barely getting there as a, a tiny home Hobbit style. I mean, it's pretty, pretty neat. They just, they're riding this fine line. They bought a plot of land in the area around the Great Smoky Mountains after McCarthy saw an opportunity to turn the small village into a tourist draw. It's pretty neat. And they're more like hotel rooms, really. Uh, not full-on homes, you know? I mean, although you could probably live there, it's designed really to just kind of give you a place to crash for a little while, short term. Incredible tiny homes, work with several budding in, uh, real estate investors, keen to build up massive uh, passive income with uh, relatively affordable tiny homes. Yeah, somewhere around $50,000 is uh, pretty typical for a tiny home. Uh, they opened their first home in December last year, which has since generated as much as $55,000. It says as much as. I'm not sure what that really means. Uh, their five homes have made about $120,000 combined this year. Not bad, but they haven't recouped their $500,000 investment yet. Unless, see, this is the problem with this article in particular. It says their five homes have made about $120,000 combined this year. Does that mean $500,000 from their initial investment plus $120,000? It's getting more manageable every day uh, where it's not a full-time job anymore. And this time next year, it could be uh, passive income. So most customers are aged between 25 and 40, which is pretty much everybody. Come on now. Um, including many couples wanting to visit the nearby national park. I would probably stay here if I went to visit the national park. Um, I have a project in development involving the national parks. We'll see. We'll see if I'll even be allowed to launch this project. But McCarthy and Kersey say competition for tenants is stiff in the tourist spot. So they've tried making their offering unique. I don't know. My thing is I want indoor plumbing and I want high speed internet. Eh, doesn't really have much to do with um, this particular thing. Cause I know that this is for tourists, but for me personally, I really want high speed internet and I want uh, indoor plumbing like city water and power and, and plumbing. So, so it's pretty neat. Go and check out this article. 
Uh, I've been kind of hovering on this article because it's a lot of fun. Um, but again, it's over at businessinsider.com. You can follow the links that are in the show notes that are over at uh, ometown.showbot.tv. Again, uh, just type in exclamation point showbot and it'll give you a link that'll lead you to uh, the ometown.showbot.tv listing of all of the articles and you can actually vote on which articles you find neat uh, to talk about. Um, I'll move on to the next one. And if you're interested in that showbot link, um, just go over there and check it out and come on back. You can just kind of lurk and listen to this. Um, the next article is in the Mobile channel. Uh, I've got about 50 channels that I hope to bring to Twitch. They're in the works. I'm going to kick off five more uh, in January. Uh, each show will be after this show. So there's an hometown daily news show every uh, day at 6 p.m. And then there's going to be five more uh, barring the weekends. I might actually rotate two over onto the weekend. It gives me a little bit more time to just hang out and chat with people. But uh, this next article is in the mobile channel. Electric vehicles start to enter the car buying mainstream. And this is something that I've observed uh, while talking to. It's more anecdotal because I don't have a, a, a global or national um, observation at this. I haven't done the due diligence necessary to say that it's anything more than anecdote, but it says here, while sales are still skewed toward affluent buyers, most people are choosing electric vehicles to save money. Um, I'd say that that's true only because of the additional costs associated with, um, buying an electric vehicle and the amount of time that you have to spend waiting for it to charge. Um, and some of them are just a little bit too expensive, but there are some that are coming down in price. And this is why I think that, uh, Tesla is largely, um, in the camp of prospectors, hoping that they're going to hit gold at some point. Um, but as Tesla grows older, competition becomes bolder and they're going to take over Tesla's kind of um, level of adoption with them uh, now opening up their charging stations to as like a standard, they're hoping that they're going to get this residual income. And mark my words, they're going to start raising the prices um, for non Tesla users to use their uh, charging stations. But um, mainly because the competitive advantage is gone. Um, pretty much everybody is now making electric vehicles and the prices are starting to drop. It says here, the first wave of people who bought electric cars tend to be affluent, environmentally aware technology enthusiasts who lived in California. The second wave may be people like Russell Grooms, a librarian in Virginia. This article is by Jack Ewing and Peter Avis over at uh, NewYorkTimes.com. And it says, Mr. Grooms last year bought a battery powered Nissan Leaf, spending about $20,000 after government incentives as a way to save money on gasoline. Well, you translate that money in gasoline with time at a charging station somewhere. Yeah, maybe if your entire commute is somewhere within 50 miles of your house, um, or you're spending a lot of time near a charging station at work. You can just plug it in, go to work, come back out. It's charged up. Hopefully some, uh, you know, uh, 
gas-powered vehicle hasn't taken over a, an electric charging station because that's the only one that was uh, open for parking at the time and good luck trying to get them moved or towed just doesn't work that way well anyway mr grooms is married and has a five-year-old daughter figures he's saving about twelve hundred dollars a year in gasoline but how much time is spent what is your opportunity cost for the hour spent waiting for this thing to charge you go 200 miles you have to charge it how long does it take it really depends on the tech involved really depends on the tech available where the charging station is, what the environment is like, even cold weather impacts battery performance on EVs. Um, you don't get in and out fast. It's not a five minute fill up the tank and off you go. I think hybrids are really where it's at um, until we have a loan and swap type of process for EVs. No more just sitting there waiting for your battery to charge. Not until the tech comes along where we can just dump a mass amount of power into the battery fast and get out of Dodge, but that's not there yet. Battery powered cars now make up the fastest growing segment of the auto market with sales jumping 70% in the first nine months of the year from the same period in 2021, according to data from Cox Automotive, a research and consulting firm. So where do you stand? Do you think that you're going to uh, switch to an EV. You know, prices are coming down. There's the, like the Ionic is pretty, pretty badass as um, an EV. I kind of dig that car. But then there's these leaps into the $100,000 more luxury vehicle. But what you're really paying for, the, the bulk of the price of the car um, is the battery. It's just a, a, a massive um consumable that you will get blindsided with in somewhere around 10 years and nobody really knows the longevity of those batteries um, because it all depends on how you consume how you drive the cleanliness of the energy that's flowing into it i mean if it is just surging and um the charging system is fouled in some way, you're gonna pay the price in a shorter battery life and it's gonna end up costing you, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in some cases. Um, well, competition, it's coming for Tesla and Tesla stock is uh, just, well, irrational exuberance is probably the only word that I can say for its multiple. Um, it is not worth every other company combined, every other internal combustion engine company combined. Um, it's wildly out of line, but people are speculating on its long-term uh, growth. And I don't think it's, it's just not going to happen. Um, the next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel. It's usually about business transformation, but this uh, article comes from Business Insider. And so it got grabbed by my um, aggregator and thrown into hatch ideas so what it's about is nancy pelosi said the gop response to the attack on her husband was disgraceful and people have told her it influenced her vote but just so you know this is not about politics my particular take on things is business technology and society so the political aspect of it eh, that's not where i'm coming from the, at this um this says here 
Nancy Pelosi said on CNN that the GOP response to her, uh, to the attack on her husband was disgraceful and that she added that she had heard anecdotally that it turned some voters off from the GOP. Well, the problem here is this is akin to just saying, you know, my cousin, sister's brother's uncle said, I'm going to vote for you because of the GOP response wasn't fast enough or whatever the thing is. And anecdotally, you know, anecdotally is really code for dog whistle <laughs> or, or keyword bingo. You know, it's, it's bunk. It, it doesn't matter. The problem here really is that <clears throat> you're not going to influence anybody. What really needs to happen is the people who said that it was disgraceful the way that the GOP responded need to come forward and they have to have gravitas. They can't just be this anecdotal, you know, my hairdresser told me that they voted for me because the GOP response. Really? That was the thing that triggered a human being into voting for the Democratic Party? Is there a response to an attack on another human being that just happened to be Nancy Pelosi's husband? And there's a societal issue here. And I think there's more to it, but I'm gonna try and dip out of the political aspect of it. This is sociological. Why would somebody say that this is what triggered them into voting for the Democratic Party versus the GOP? There's more questions here than answers, that's for sure. But this this article is by Katie Belovic um, over at businessinsider.com. And um, here's a picture of Nancy Pelosi in the process of saying, you heard what? So she said that Paul Pelosi gets closer to recovery with each day following a successful surgery. Well, that is great. <clears throat> Um, all the best medical care that can be provided, I'm sure. Um, too bad so many other people have so much debt borne by medical costs here in the United States and don't have the luxury of oh, political connections and taxpayer dollars and whatever else. But. In the days following the assault, several notable Republicans made jokes, including everybody under the sun that has some type of sociopathic problem um, with dealing with other human beings that aren't like them. Um, so without going further down this line, that's pretty much what I have to say about it. There, There is a bigger problem, and, and that is that uh, we are polarized in our politics. Instead of saying... Yeah, you can have a differing view, but don't show up to the polling station with guns. Um, there is a, a contingent, and if you look up the word wingnut, it is definitely the wingnut, wingnut contingent um, that feel that if you are different, then I need to put you in a crosshair instead of just saying, okay, your perspective is different than mine. Totally understand it. But let's continue on with the news. We got about eight more articles to go through. The next article is in the Smack Talk channel. And 
Apple continuing uh, continues hiring for its mixed reality headset project. I've got my <clears throat> Pico 4 on the way. A uh, domestic seller, by the way, is selling the Pico 4 headset for $100 more than everybody else on the planet. So <laughs> talk about greed. Um, and, and I'm sure that there's going to be justification all over the place for this, but it, it really is greed a hundred dollars more. So you, we already know that the profit is there at 430 bucks. Um, actually it's $160 more. So come to think of it, Verizon, I think it is, is selling it domestically here in the United States for $600. Um, at any rate, Apple is going to keep on. Uh, developing their mixed reality headset. I think it's going to tie into the uh, iPhone um, directly into the iPhone. I don't know how it will work with other devices, but it's not going to be a standalone device. It'll have to have something else um, powering it. Um, much like the, P not the Pico, um, but the um, uh, Nreal. There's a an augmented reality headset called Enreal. Um, those are pretty cool, but they tie into a device and uh, you can actually tie them into, um, well, almost anything. And they have uh, a pretty, pretty neat feature set, but I want Apple to tie into the iPhone and uh, provide a mixed reality headset that actually does active QR code observation and provides information based on geo, um, basically geolocation and beacons that are sending out a signal of what this location might have in it. A store or a restaurant can just plop out a beacon and when I walk by a menu can appear, not necessarily appear, I can request it. Um, and if I want to give up my telemetry so that I can get something provided for me, then awesome. Um, but augmented reality, mixed reality, virtual reality, there's a lot um, of subtle nuance there where you can go from augmented reality through mixed reality into VR just by doing a blackout of the uh, glasses. So is Apple really going to just limit it to AR? It says here, Apple is continually filling out its team, uh, working on its AR headset with role changes, indicating the head mounted uh, device project is still alive and well in Cupertino. Uh, this is over at appleinsider.com. Malcolm Owen is the author of this. This is a render. And if it looks like this and it's a mixed reality headset, I think that mistakes have been made. People will clamor for this regardless of it, but really what needs to happen is it needs to look more like the Nreal's regular glasses, maybe a little bit bulkier, obviously, um, but not this, just not this. It's not subtle enough. It's not uh, pervasive enough and transparent enough. It's not something where you can walk around with this and not get punched in the face. If you want to see Google glass 2.0, where people are going to start calling you a glass hole again, and, and somebody's going to punch you when you walk into a bar, this is where it's at. This is, 
this kind of a render is for home use only, professional use only, you know, in the office, and that's it. Um, but at any rate, I think Apple has something a little bit bigger in mind, but I, obviously I could be wrong. I don't have any insider information. Uh, but it says here that Apple uh, has a long been rumored to be working on multiple VR headsets, AR glasses, and other items in the fields of augmented and virtual reality. And current speculation has Apple starting the production of a mixed reality headset in early 2023. I don't think so. I think this is going to get pushed to closer to 2025, uh, maybe with somebody teasing it um, next September, October. Um, but I don't think that it's going to really hit the, the market until 2025. Um, Apple has also posted numerous job listings in recent months for the technology development group, which oversees headset development. Some listings are content production related, uh, such as uh, visual effects software developer. And that could really be for anything. Other listings apparently imply some form of video service is also in development, potentially featuring 3D content playable in VR. Well, Apple already has an augmented reality component. Um, with the iPhone, you can just place down things like QR codes and with or anything really, as long as the software works with the augmented reality component of its software, it can display whatever is coded for that particular uh, QR code. Um, it says one listing mentions the development of 3D MR worlds, mixed reality world, uh, which would be in the same ballpark as some of Facebook's metaverse efforts. So, uh, let's please uncouple metaverse from Facebook. I just, I don't, I have some weird... Uh, maybe it's a condition. I don't know. I'm gonna have to talk to a specialist and go talk to my general practitioner and say, Hey, every time somebody mentions Facebook's metaverse, I get a rash. They'll probably tell me to just disconnect from the internet. And then I'll have to find another doctor because they're obviously not reading the room. Anyway, let's move on to the next article. Hatch ideas. Uh, is where it's been aggregated to a company that's building $30,000 tiny home hotels designed by former SpaceX and Tesla engineers now has 70 off grid units. Let's take a look inside these things. Uh, I'm going to just jump right into it because it's over at business insider and they always have these kind of, um, <clears throat> articles where it's lots of pictures and a little bit of text. Uh, Brittany Chang is the author of this over at businessinsider.com. If this is one of the models, it's kind of, you know, I used to, I, I joke about having all kinds of um, LED lights inside a computer case as a rave in a box. This is a rave box. Um, its units can be flat packed and driven across the country on a flatbed truck. Jupe, I guess it's called Jupe, J-U-P-E, maybe Jupe, I don't know. There's no tilde or anything. Is building $30,000 off-grid tiny home hotel rooms and now has 70 of them across the US and two major developments coming next year. If you're waiting, if you're impatiently waiting for your Cybertruck, why not uh, scratch the itch with something a bit different, camping off-grid inside a tiny home designed by someone who worked on Tesla's Cybertruck. Yeah. Oh, these are actually 
cloth style walls. They're like a, a tent based on what I see. Those look flexible um, and more tent-like than um, hard siding. Although this here, the render looks like it's hard sided, but it doesn't. And, and um, in their actual photographs, it's not lit like the picture. So if you're watching this, it's going to be different than obviously how I'm describing it for <laughs> at the podcast. But it looks like it's um, a steel poled tent of a pretty complex geometry and uh, would probably take having to be flat packed on a trailer. Um, Off-grid glamping, a portmanteau of glamorous and camping. That's not a new word, by the way. Startup Jupe uh, begins building movable high-tech hotel rooms reminiscent of tiny homes in 2019. Um, but then inside it looks fairly sturdy, um, but it still looks like um, a tent uh, with a hard foundation and a deck. <laughs> this, this is, um, yeah, glamping, I guess, would be the, the right word for it. Um, you won't be able to really get a sense of this in the audible form only. You'll have to go over to Business Insider. Just follow the link from um, hometown.showbot.tv. Yeah, it's pretty obvious based on the URL. You'll see it. Um, you can see some of the similarities. Jeff Wilson, Jupe CEO, co-founder and chief designer told Insider, it almost looks like a cyber tent. Yeah, actually it does. I mean, it's angular, it's triangular actually. It's the complex geometry, even with the windows um, carrying that geometry. It's obvious that it's on a, a hard trailer type of foundation. No, oh, I might as well call it a, a, a crate bottom. Um, and, um, looks like it can fold up and be flat packed so that you don't have to worry about, um, the height of the container or anything in it will have to be removed. It says the tiny homes are made of laminated wood and aluminum superstructure and a weather resistant canvas. So AKA a tent with a hard bottom. Um, and the materials give the jupes a 10 year lifespan, although the canvas will have to be replaced more frequently. Okay, so this is apparently, and I'm gonna scroll back up to the top so that I can read this number right. You have 10 years and some other random having to replace the canvas siding throughout its lifetime, but you have 10 years of lifespan for a $30,000 off-grid tiny home tent kind of reminds me of the battery packs for EVs. You have about 10 years and you're going to be shelling out another $25,000. It is, it's a tremendous cost. And if you have the money, then so be it. But you know, there's, there's, yeah, I, I hesitate to say there's more of the people who can't afford this than there are people who can afford this, but the people that have been making a tent ton of money um, are spending it. And the people who can't afford a $30,000 
uh, glamping tent are not spending it on anything other than surviving what is coming as a recession approaches. Um, but go over to the Business Insider article, check it all out. I think it's pretty neat. Um, is it worth $30,000? You let me know. Throw a note in the chat or get in touch with me in some way. I'm all over the place. There's even a link to a Discord and I'm in the Discord all the time. Nobody's out, nobody else is in the Discord. Uh, I don't really hype it up. I don't promote. Um, go tell a friend, have them show up. Come and talk with me, hang out, and uh, share your thoughts on this stuff. How about this next article? The, uh, it's in Hatch Ideas, and um, it's sourced from Business Insider as well. They tend to have a really heavy um, news day periodically where it just seems to pile on that, that they've done some really good writing. Sunday is usually not the day for good news. Um, the onslaught starts happening on the Wednesday, Tuesday to Wednesday, Wednesday to Thursday days, um, where hundreds of articles um, flood into hometown. Well, this article is United Airlines to pay $305,000 to a Buddhist pilot who refused to attend Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. So... United Airlines will pay $305,000 to a pilot who refused to attend AA meetings on religious grounds. That decision meant he lost his medical certificate and was no longer permitted to fly. United agreed to accommodate staff from non-Christian faiths in its program in the future. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating, isn't it? You require something that obviously has a religious angle to it. And when they say no... I don't want to go there. I want to do something else. And they refuse. That's an accommodation issue. Um, well, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or the EEOC, said in a press release that the airline discriminated against the pilot who was um, diagnosed. Interesting. Uh, before I get there, because the my aggregator just truncates things, Um so Ryan Hogg wrote this article over at, it might be Hogue. I'm not sure how they pronounce their last name. Um, anyway, the article's from Business Insider as well. And um, so let me see where it says here. Who was diagnosed with alcohol dependency on religious grounds when he failed to offer an alternate, alternative path after he refused to attend AA meetings citing its religious undertones. And yeah, there, there are religious undertones and, and um, some people can put that stuff aside and other people cannot. Um, and it really, I'm not sure if, <laughs> if it should be up to only the employee to provide <laughs> an alternate path um, to success in this issue. But a person who is diagnosed with alcohol dependency as a pilot um, I'm surprised that there wasn't something else that could have been done. Um, you know, it says here, the man who had been a pilot for 30 years lost the medical certificate issued by the FAA uh, after his diagnosis, a step in regaining the certification in United's uh, HIMS Occupational Substance Abuse Treatment Program involves attending AA meetings. And he objected, citing aspects of the AA's 12-step program, um, which has its origins in a, as a Christian group. 
Um, I'm really curious though. I mean, there's, he was diagnosed as having an alcohol dependency. So, but that, I, I'll have to do some due diligence. I'm really curious why that wouldn't just be grounds for firing somebody straight up. Um, I suppose there's it because it was declared a, a medical condition and not just somebody saying that they're drunk. Um, maybe there's something to this that prevented them from just firing them outright. But I guess if they offer it to one, they have to offer it to all. And that opens the door to situations like this. The decision violated Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of religion per the commission, which sued the airline on the man's behalf in 2020, according to the AP. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, they'll pay the pilot $305 and damages and reinstate him into its HIMS program while allowing him to attend a non-12-step peer recovery program. And it'll also accept religious accommodations in its program in the future. And it only took two years of litigation to remedy this. Um, when HR should have known that anything having to do with religion is going to be grounds for a uh, lawsuit. Uh, the next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel as well, and this one is also from Business Insider. And it's animal shelters say they're beyond capacity as more people give up their pets due to soaring inflation. Fascinating, right? The, um, the knock-on effect of high costs are also impacting everything else associated with um, basically living one's life. And now people can't afford the the food, the, the shelter, the health of uh, their pets. So rising inflation means people are having to give up the pets that they can't afford, animal shelters say. Animal shelters are facing higher costs and fewer donations, as well as more mouths to feed. Facing a looming recession, they, have, they might have to turn away animals that depend on us for survival. Um, I had read previously somewhere else, I don't know if it's in the hometown aggregator, um, where people, some places were, um, <laughs> some places were receiving so many pets, um, specifically, um, what are they? Um, not hedgehogs, um, hamsters. They were receiving too many hamsters, um, that they had to turn away hamsters. How, how about that? You could put like 50 hamsters. Well, they might, I mean, if they get fixed and stuff, but, but you could put like 50 hamsters in a, in a fish tank or a cage or whatever, you know, <laughs> but there were so many apparently coming in that they, um, had to start turning them away. Little hamsters or guinea pigs. Yeah. I think it was both of them, but. Anyway, amid surging inflation and rising economic anxiety, more pets are being given up. Um, that's kind of a bummer. Uh, not kind of a bummer. It is a bummer. So Stephanie Stacy over at Business Insider wrote this article. And as sad as it might be, um, it is the reality of what's going on right now. Uh, you know, me again, meanwhile, my boss is pulling in 
to the shop with a Ferrari. Um, and that's not true. I, I don't really have a boss per se, but at any rate, um, yeah. What do you think about this? Do you think that, uh, this is actually a bigger issue than it, you don't see it. Is it, it, does it really exist? Is this just hype clickbait? says the Casper Humane Society in Wyoming told Insider it felt forced to close the list of animals waiting for a place after it became too overwhelming. The shelter, which takes in both pets and stray animals, generally looks after around 100 animals at any given time, including 60 cats and 40 dogs, as well as an assortment of small critters like rodents and reptiles. It has politicians in it? Interesting. Um... Craig Cummings, director of the Casper Humane Society, said his team has noticed a bump in the number of pets being abandoned. And that's that's a shame. I mean, anybody, uh, whatever. Um, he said it has been forced to operate above capacity all year, and there are over 100 dogs and at least 200 of cats waiting for a safe home. That is amazing. That's three times just the large animal can contingent at this one shelter according to estimates from aspca it costs 13 well 1400 annually to own a dog and 1150 to own a cat and soaring inflation has made pet care even pricier yep food is going is getting more expensive shelter not so much but health you know, you need medicine and, and the medicine is more expensive and you go over to the vet for whatever. Um, and that's gone up in price. And if you have an exotic animal or one that is uh, known to need a greater amount of health care, you're going to be paying a pretty penny. It's interesting that they focused on Wyoming, though. Wyoming is the smallest population. Can you imagine in a higher population state how many more animals are being given up? And why are so many people giving up their animals in Wyoming? Huh, that's interesting. Uh, they're saying that it's economic, but shouldn't they want to keep their animals? You know? Huh. I don't know. There's something more to that, too. There's always more. You know, life is like an onion, <laughs> I guess you could call it. Peel back layers, and each successive layer probably tries to make you cry a little more. Let's move on. The next article is in the Warcrafters channel. D&D has a new inclusive uh, inclusion review process to prevent another Spelljammer incident. The publisher uh, previously apologized for and removed a description of Spelljammers, Flying Monkey People, and the Hadoozy, I guess, um, that was criticized for its similarity to racist stereotypes of black people. In the blog post, D&D senior story designer Christopher Perkins writes that, quote, the first printing of the Spelljammer Adventures in Space included two pieces of content that fans correctly flagged as offensive. The first is an illustration of a Hadoozy bard that resembled offensive uh, minstrelsy materials and other racist depictions of black people? Holy hell! How in the world did that make it past anybody with a critical eye? 
and I knew that there was a problem, but I had not actually gone down this road. Um, the second is a uh, paragraph about Hadoozies that reinforces harmful real world stereotypes. Future reprints will omit both the illustration and the offensive text, neither of which had been reviewed by cultural experts. How in the hell could it have been not reviewed by somebody that had any sense? <laughs> I mean, it's really rough to uh, look at it at any time and go, well, that's okay. Let's click this link. I'm not sure if this is the picture that they had in mind here, but anyway, Jody McGregor is the author of this over at PCGamer.com. And it says the studio's new process mandates that every word illustration and map must be reviewed by multiple outside cultural consultants prior to publication. Yeah, there's many a time where in an organization, particularly of Wizards of the Coast size, there is external auditors of material um, or um, internal that are. Wow. I hope you heard that. Um, the the there's people that are there that are uh, set aside that are immune from somebody saying, well, I don't like what you're saying. You're fired. Um, and so they're kind of compartmentalized. And but if there are external, then um, they, uh, even more so they're immune from somebody saying you're fired to a greater degree. Like, because the ramifications of firing somebody external for basically looking at something with a critical eye um, is going to be bad press. Poor, poor PR. Anyway, Parkins explained the previous D&D books only underwent inclusion reviews at the discretion of the product lead. Journeys through the Radiant Citadel, for instance, a collection of adventures based on settings inspired by non-European folklore and written by authors from diverse backgrounds credits multiple cultural consultants. Curse of Strahd, which had to be revised after publication. This is one of the ones that I've actually uh, found out about. Revised after publication to remove racially insensitive text did not. Though a subsequent book in the same setting, Van Richen's Guide to Ravenloft, did. So hit or miss. Um, is no longer good enough, folks, particularly at the size of Wizards of the Coast. So the next article is in the Word and Tech. Uh, Twitter reportedly cut thousands of contractors without warning. Yeah, I was told of this. Uh, Twitter eliminated a, a large number of contract employees on Saturday, affecting anywhere between 4,400 and 5,500 workers, according to platformer Casey Newton. As noted by Platformer and confirmed by other reports uh, from Axios and CNBC and now The Verge, uh, most contract employees didn't receive any notice that they'd been terminated and only found out after losing access to the company's email and internal communication systems. Yeah, again, Elon Musk reminds me of Zorg from The Fifth Element. You know, hey, we only have to fire, you know, 500,000 people and eh, fire 4 million. You know, that's basically it. Um, why? Because Elon Musk thinks that he can replace anybody with anybody and he can weather the tide because he's got billions. But it's all it, it's it's not real cash yet. 
you know, he has to sell stuff to get the billions, but he can sell it blind to everybody else, you know, and, and make his money quicker than you can react. <laughs> it's all a game, man. It's all again, a sociopathic game. Anyway, Emma Roth over at theverge.com wrote this article. And uh, let's see if there's anything else in here. Uh, Twitter, by the way, is being sued uh, in California for violating uh, the rules, um, both federal and state, um, for slashing uh, a bunch of jobs without notice. Um, and unlike Facebook, which I will not idolize in any way, shape or form, but at least Facebook meta did it right in giving a, a broader, um, amount of care, a, a greater amount of care in how they treated the employees, gave them bigger, uh, severance packages and healthcare and other support, um, to, individuals and the families of the individuals that were contract workers and well, full-time employees at least. Um, and it was a greater riff, a larger riff than uh, Twitter. So I don't know, I guess, um, <laughs> 45, $44 billion can buy you a company, but not compassion or wisdom or, um, I don't know, care. Yeah. The conversations that I've had with um, very rich people has led me to believe that the closer you, uh, I've said this before, I'll say it again and I'll say it to anybody that cares to hear it. The closer you get to becoming a billionaire or multimillionaire, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm not talking about, oh, I've got two million dollars. No, I'm talking about the type of people that fund their own health insurance so that they don't have to pay taxes um, and, and that kind of stuff. You know, they're, they are buying massive amounts of um, tax haven properties so that they don't have to pay taxes to the very country that is making it possible for them to become a billionaire. You know, it's the antisocial sociopathic people that I'm talking about. Well, when you start trending towards that, you ramp up from, I'm a caring human being and it shows by my actions to, I'm a sociopath and I will step on your neck to get more money. Um, that's just my observation. Um, the next article though, this last one for today is um, in the mobile channel, Carrie Lake deems Arizona's election process a laughing stock. Um, this is over at the Hill quote. I consider someone's voice, uh, someone's vote, their voice. I think it's sacred vote and it's being trampled the way we run our elections in Arizona. I'm just going to stop there and we'll go over to the article. Um, let me pause this because that's not what this article is about. Uh, Julia Mueller or Mueller, um, is, uh, the author of this article over at the Hill. And it says Arizona's GOP gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake on Sunday called her state's election process a laughingstock as her race against Democrat Katie Hobbs has yet to be called five days after the election. Um, by the way, you'll notice that nobody is ever yelling as long as the vote is going their way. Um, but it's the 
wingnut GOP contingent, not all of the GOP, but the wingnut GOP contingent that screams foul when the vote isn't going their way. It's all, you know, conspiracy. It's been taken over, etc. Um, when the reality is, no, that it, <laughs> that's not how it is. Um, there is no conspiracy to steal an election. Uh, you're a wingnut. And uh, it's been proven again and again in court. You know, when the information is provided, it's BS. But when the election is going their way, then obviously it's correct. And it's hilarious that SNL even wrote a skit about it. And that's pretty much it. With 88% of the votes counted as of Sunday afternoon, Hobbs is leading Lake by 1.5 percentage points. And Arizona officials have said the process of counting ballots will stretch into next week. Hmm. This and Georgia and a few other places. Uh, basically, the, the election process is going to end up resulting in just one contiguous election cycle from the two-year period to the four-year period to the two-year period to the four-year period where everybody's just counting votes <clears throat> and you never really know who your elected official is pardon me once again and um that's it for today uh hometown daily news show is an hour-long show typically uh, every day from six o'clock until seven o'clock if I burn through the news faster because I'm not soapboxing about stuff or giving a perspective, I really should say, of um, business, technology, and society, that is the triad that I um, speak to everything about, um, then sometimes it's shorter. Uh, but today, we're pretty much right on the money. I will see you tomorrow, 6 p.m., and uh, maybe I'll, I'll prime the pump for future shows. Um tomorrow actually i have to correct that i am gonna be at a uh what amounts to a meeting a consortium meeting for 10 hours tomorrow and so tomorrow's show is gonna be late um i'm thinking 7 30 8 30 uh, maybe a little bit later than that i really do have to look into it uh, i'm not sure if i'm gonna stay for the full period um, I really should. It's basically a once a year thing for my particular domain. And um, I have not gone to it. And uh, well, this particular one I've never been to. So it is 10 hours long and highly focused on my particular domain. Um, yes, of running a a town trapped in the electrons of the Internet. That's what this consortium is all about. I uh, won't get into what it is about, but it is 10 hours long and um, Marwat is going to be pretty burnt. Um, so, but I'll, I will give it the old hometown try and I will launch the show um, as soon as I'm free and prepped for the show. I, I will not miss an episode of hometown daily news show. Um, for the foreseeable future and i hope to see you hey z you're right here at the very end of my show have you been lurking 
I'm going to leave all of this in in the podcast, by the way, because it's good to see you. I don't really give anybody a warning that I'm doing my show. Yeah, you do. But I appreciate you swinging by just to let me know that, hey, I'm still here. (laughs) But you're awesome, Z. I really appreciate you swinging by. Okay. Um, well, what I'm going to end up doing is, uh, I'll, I'll end the show. Um, and I've got, actually, I have to run because I have to prepare for tomorrow. Um, and this, like I said, 10 hours, man. Oh my gosh. Uh, 10 hours of, uh, being tied to a screen because it's not in person. And, uh, I actually have to take notes. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Z. I appreciate it. I'm going to um, prep now so I can swing by uh, Dunkstar's stream tonight. And if you've never been to Dunkstar's stream, go to twitch.tv slash D-U-N-C-S-T-A-R. You will not be disappointed. Um, And that's where I met Z. Stay awesome. I'll see you tomorrow, 6 p.m. Maybe you too, Z. Ciao.